MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Lombardi Line with Michael Lombardi and Patrick Maher on VSIN. Lombardi line as we welcome you in. I'm Patrick Maher live from the VEASAN studios here at the South Point. Michael Lombardi there in Jersey. So Saban versus versus Jimbo <laughs> went off the rails yesterday and I'm sure you yeah. had a chance to. So I, I don't know if we've seen that type of victory all and just somebody going scorched earth like Jimbo Fisher did. So Saban went on Sirius XM's, uh, I think it was a college channel last night, and he said he was wrong to single out A&M and Jackson State because, remember, he singled out Jackson State, said they paid Travis Hunter Jr. the million dollars. Dion came out and went off on Nick as well. But he didn't back down on his stance that paying high school players under the guise of name, image, and likeness could potentially ruin college sports as we know it. You've had a day to marinate on this. What's your take on the Saban, Jimbo Fisher stuff? Well, look, I think they're both wrong, right? I think Nick's wrong and, and, you know, the rules of engagement are what the rules of engagement are, you know, and and I don't like paying high school kids, but they also deserve to not get ripped off by the NC2A for their likeness and the NC2A makes all the money and they don't make anything. I I think it, it opened up Pandora's box. There's no doubt. Uh, because some of the teams that have money, like Texas A&M football, but perhaps not Texas A&M basketball, are going to benefit. So to me, Nick was wrong. I mean, this is the rules of – I mean, you're sitting on one of the greatest college programs in the history of college football. You you know, you're not going to complain. You may not want to pay high school players, but the rules have changed. 
And I think, I think that as a leader, Jimbo's wrong for attacking coming back. There's no positive element of either party's behavior in this, Nick or Jimbo. Like, what are you going to gain from it? And the spotlight becomes focused on you two, not your kids, not the players. Jimbo tried to, in his two-and-a-half-minute dissertation, he tried to say he was complaining to, to, to support his players. He doesn't need to support his players. He didn't do anything wrong. He didn't do anything wrong. I mean, what does he have to support his players? They didn't do anything wrong. This is the new rules. This is the world we live in. You either accept it or you get out. That's really not that complicated. The guy with the hardest job today is Jimmy Sexton, the agent for both men, because he's going to have to be uh, he's going to have to be Henry Kissinger like to find a way to get detente to come through to this. Do I think it'll patch it up? No, but I think ultimately Nick knows he's wrong because it put the spotlight on him and not on the program. It's just. It's so ironic this is all coming from the SEC, where the SEC, yeah. I mean, they've been playing, paying players for 50 years. I mean, there's no, like, if there's a seedy or shady conference, and no, it's, I'm, it's just because they care more. There's so, many, there's so much booster money involved. And to simplify it, Michael, I think what Saban is saying is bidding for players and promising and using the NIL to high school 17-year-olds to get them to come to your program is wrong. He's saying what he does is he gets the kids to come and then they earn the NIL based on merit once they get there. I mean, that's right. great. That's a gray area that is unsustainable as far as governance. It is. And what's unsustainable, it's within its own program. You know, you're, you're Buzz Williams recruiting basketball players in the state of Texas, and you go into Lake Travis, and you're trying to recruit the best basketball player there, and the best football player got an NIL deal to go to A&M that, you know, that's really ridiculous. So how do, you, how do you not match that deal? They all talk. And so that becomes the problem internally. The same thing happened with Tom Crean at Georgia. You know, they didn't have NIL money in Georgia's basketball, but yet they do it for football. Again, not casting judgment at all. We know how important football is in the South. So, yeah, I think Nick's right. Ideally, you'd like to give the money to the people that earn it, but part of it is is recruiting, you know, and, and, and give Jackson State credit that Dion was able to raise that kind of money, A. B, he was able to lure a kid to his program. I mean, it's more than just the money that makes you want to go there. The, I, it's a bit of irony, but also hilarious the best part is these quotes from Saban when he was given the speech. It was at a fundraising event. <laughs> right, so, exactly. I like, thought the same thing, like, too. He was talking I mean, to business leaders. He was talking to business leaders, you know, to to then, you know, help him. <laughs> I, I kind of thought it was He funny. was basically kicking him in the ass, and part of my language, to say, look yeah. what they're doing. Hey, everybody. It's like complaining about the functionality of the system while telling people, you better get on board because this is the way it's going, right? So yeah, you, it's right. Like, and there'll be a hat at the door. You better throw some money in it, like before you leave here tonight. I think we know? could all agree. Poor Nick Saban. He hasn't had. To, uh, I mean, that's the that's the wild part is he's had insane success. You know, he and Bear Bryant are in the conversation as the goat. But at seventy, this determination, which you and well, I spoke of yesterday, continues to completely rule him. Well, I think, too, you know, remember, he was complaining about the no-huddle offense, too. I mean, Nick is not one not to complain. I mean, he complained about the no-huddle offense, saying that, you know, it's not fair, you know. And so, but he should, it's one thing to complain, but when you complain as the leader, you then allow the people around you to complain. 
because they're going to follow suit with what you do. So don't get mad at them when they start complaining. And I, and I think that's the lesson to learn here by both men, by both men. I mean, Jimbo shows a bad example for the people he's leading as well because he's sitting there attacking somebody on a personal level when this was we were talking about business. You may not like Nick, but you don't have to attack him because he attacked your program. You know, you could just say, hey, look, Nick's completely wrong. I think if you investigate Alabama, you'll find there's things that go on there. You know, you could handle a lot different. He took it personal, which I think was another mistake. Yeah, I mean, part of the quote is Fisher said, quote, some people think they're God. He spent five seasons with Saban as an assistant. You could tell a lot of it was super personal. What do you right. think? I know you can't c- c- come up with the answer as to why he's so bitter with Saban, but his overture that other assistants have issues, what do you think that's all about? Well, I mean, Nick's demanding. I mean, there's no, there's no denying that. Nick's hard on the assistants. I mean, I think you could talk to anybody, but he wins. If you want to win, and, and for all the things that he thinks he was hard on him for, he was able to secure the Florida State job from working with him. You know, and he's built a reputation for being a great coach, even though, as we said yesterday on the show, his one loss record is exactly the same as Kevin Sumlin after three years. Right. I mean, he's done nothing at A&M to, to highlight. I mean, he lost to Arkansas this year. He done nothing to really to talk about like he's turned this program around, you know, and he's made a lot of money for it. So I, I think it was wrong to take it personal. I don't know why he had to do that. Nick is challenging. There's no denying it. But like I've often said, you know, people said Al Davis was challenging too. And I would say, look, if you like football, it's not that much of a challenge because it's all football. You know, the, I, I, while we were talking about it yesterday, I was thinking the ironic part He's been there, what, three seasons, Fisher? He also had Kellen Mond starting every single season, and he was a draft pick, so it's not like he didn't have stability at the quarterback position, and he still lost. I mean, he inherited a good team. I mean, the Kevin Sumlin, it wasn't like Kevin Sumlin's recruiting had gone off the rails, right? I mean, they've been recruiting. I mean, A&M can recruit, you know? And, and part of the problem, too, is in the state of Texas, and I think that Steve Sarkeesian has learned this, is sometimes when you're recruiting some of these kids, you know, you've got to de-recruit them. Because you got to get them to, buy, to, to start working again. They feel there's a sense of entitlement. I mean, a and I, I went to a high school game two years ago here with one of the best high school programs in South Jersey called St. Augustine's Prep. It's out in Buena. It's about half hour from where I live. Bill and I, we went to a game, and they had this huge defensive tackle playing, and I was like, holy God, who's this guy? Well, he's going to A&M. Like, A&M's a national program. Let's not kid ourselves. Amal said they have a lack of self-awareness. Is there College Station? They do. I mean, they, 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 they have not looked at their record book. It's a little bit – it's the same problem that the New York football giants have had, hmm. right? You know, I mean, they, they, five years you're the worst team in pro football and you're sitting there wondering why people are attacking you. You're sitting there trying to justify everything you've done. I mean, think about this. You're, you're the, you have one of the worst cap situations in the football. You can't do anything because your cap is tied up, and yet you have the least amount of wins. There's, a, there's an imbalance there. It's the same thing at A&M. That happens all the time. They, they think they're programmed, and certainly they put their money in. That stadium's incredible. If you've ever been there, it's unbelievable. You feel like you're on top of the world. And football's important in College Station. There's no, no denying it. But when Jackie Sherrill went there, when I was growing up and he went there, they won right away. They didn't mess around. Well, Deion Sanders, a.k.a. Coach Prime on Twitter, he wasn't messing around. When shots were fired at him, he said this, quote, you best believe I will address that lie Coach Saban told tomorrow. 
I was awakened by my son that sent me the article stating we paid Travis Hunter Jr. a million to play at, uh, obviously, the school. We, are, we as a people don't have to pay our people to play with our people. So that is Deion Sanders, of course, who's the head coach there. It, it's, it's interesting. He also went on to say he doesn't even make a million dollars coaching Jackson State, let alone pay a yeah. kid. Now, I mean, they did pay him because they're tied in with Barstool. And he, I, but I think the rumor was he got $250,000. So you understand this is also we're being persnickety about it's like he didn't get a million, but he did get 250 or, or somewhere in that range to go. So they're not denying that he did get paid. So I, yeah, I don't I'm, know. I mean, look, it, look, this is the new era that we live in. I mean, Auburn basketball, ask anybody about Auburn basketball. You know, I, I said this the other day. They're talking about guys in the NBA are saying uh, Smith's going to have to take a pay cut with the rookie <laughs> with the, to get into the NBA. You that's know, hilarious. it's kind of a joke, but I mean, that's what they're talking about. I know. You know, but. You know, look, the, the Southeast Conference and, and, and Greg Sankey, the commissioners, does a great job there. He's issued, you know, public reprimand. Both of them, they both need to shut up. I mean, this is not leadership. This is, this is pettiness. Second leg of the Triple Crown, Michael Lombardi, the Preakness Stakes. It loses, I got it. It loses I, some I, of the I, juice. I, you, you had no, how about that Philly? Let's talk about that Secret Philly. Secret Oath is, she is, she, she, is, she is tremendous, and she's trained by Dean Wayne Lucas, who's 88. Uh, Jeremy, Jeremy Plonk is going to join us. We had 20 starters in the Derby. We've got nine in the Preakness Stakes, so a little less juice, but we're still into it, and Jeremy's going to join us. We'll try to find a winner and build a winning ticket for the Preakness Stakes. Next here, Lombardi Line presented by BetMGM. This is VSIN, the Sports Betting Network. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Everyday Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. You can build internal resources. That's what the study of psychology is about, building internal resources. Turning towards is one of the most important elements of successful relationships, no matter what kind of relationship it is. The thing that underpins all of this productivity stuff is finding a way to make the journey itself enjoyable. The journey is the destination. The beauty of uncertainty is infinite possibility. When you don't know what's next, you don't know what's next. And thus, anything can be next. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. 
and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to The Lombardi Line on VSEN, featuring former NFL executive Michael Lombardi. Now, once again, here's Patrick Maher. Okay, VSEN Spring, you get everything. Burks, MLB Best Bets, Von Tobel's NBA, McNeil, Stanley Cup Playoffs, Point Spread Weekly. We cover golf, UFC, USFL, and NASCAR. It's all through July 31st. Everything we offer for $59. VSEN.com slash spring. VSEN.com slash spring. Okay, we welcome you back. Of course, tomorrow, Michael Lombardi, the 147th running of the Preakness Stakes, the middle jewel there as far as the Triple Crown. Editor-in-chief over at ExpressBet, Horse Player Nation as well. Our buddy Jeremy Plonk joins us. Let's get excited. Maybe it's Secret Oath and Dwayne Lucas. Is that what we're going to hang our hat on, Jeremy, as we welcome you in? We had 20 coming out the gate in the Kentucky Derby, nine starters in the Preakness. Give us a reason to get excited. Well, this is a Preakness Stakes where you've got the runner-up from the Kentucky Derby and the beaten favorite in Epicenter, and then a historical chance for the Philly uh, for Secret Oath to become just the second Philly in history to win the Kentucky Oaks as well as the Preakness. So you've got that rivalry. You know, Dwayne Lucas, 86 years old. We talk about how he's still doing it at the greatest level. His first success in the Triple Crown came in 1980, the year of the Phillies. Uh, you know, I mean, 1980, we're talking, when he won the Preakness with Codex. He knocked off the Philly that year, Genuine Risk, who was the Kentucky Derby winner. And it was one of the most controversial races in history, as a lot of people think there should have been a disqualification at the top of the stretch. That kick-started D. Wayne Lucas's career 42 years later He's not back trying to beat the Philly. He's trying to beat him with the Philly this time. So I think there's a lot to like uh, about this year's Preakness Stakes. 88 years old, D. Wayne Lucas. I mean, Belichick's coaching at 70, Nick Saban's 70. I mean, how involved is he, Jeremy? Is he still oh. that? Is he still there early in the morning doing all the things, or is he more of the overseer of the horse? He is the 
entire team with the horse practically. Mm. D. Wayne Lucas is on horseback every morning. 86. God you gave him a couple him. extra years. Yeah, but at, I 88, <laughs> I, at 88, I won't be surprised if he's still on horseback every morning. You know, I talked to him for a special we did about uh, seven years ago almost now as he was about to turn 80 years old. And I joked with him. I said, Wayne, what did you drink some wheat grass or something? Is there some crazy regimen you have? And he said, all my favorite restaurants have a box at the front when they tell you to pull around. He said, I have the worst diet on the planet. But he doesn't drink. He doesn't smoke. And he's got good genes. I mean, to to do what he's doing at this age, he is heavily involved. He's a little slower now than he has been in past years, walking with a cane and such. But again, up on horseback every single morning. And uh, if Secret Oath wins the Preakness, it will be by his training, not just a name in the program. Well, let's let's talk about Secret Oath. So nine to two on the yeah. board has run against the boys third in the Arkansas Derby, but a terrible trip, as you know, Jeremy, a terrible ride as well. So yeah. I. I thought visually, I was there at the Oaks at Kentucky Derby. I, I thought he, she looked great, but the speed figures didn't come out. So where are you on Secret Oath here? Well, I think she's an outstanding filly in a class where we had good fillies from like four different regions around the country. So that was like an NCAA Final Four game uh, in the Kentucky Oaks. They were the best horses from all the different regions in the country in the filly ranks for the three-year-olds, and she handled them nicely. Luis Saez, the new rider who replaced Luis Contreras, who rode the horse in Arkansas, was a plus move in the in the, uh, in the the jockey ranks. And so I think she's going to be a hard out in this race. I think she's going to make them run. She comes from off the pace. And just how the situation sets up early in the race is going to determine how much impact she can make late. She's going to come from behind, but she's got a good turn of foot, a good kick about her. She will not be a surprise to win this Preakness. A simplification, you know, is going to be run by Antonio Sanyo, but Jose Ortez had been running him, and they say that he'd been running well at the Pimlico, but Ortez feels he's got a better chance with early voting. Talk about simplification. I know uh, it, it's she's owned. Uh, he's owned by Tammy Bobo and trained by John Valquez. Six to one in the number one spot. Talk, talk about the chances for for him. Well, Simplification's a horse who sometimes goes towards the front, sometimes comes from the back. We really don't know what style the horse employs best, but he's got a good little run in him for, you know, about three furlongs, which is three-eighths of a mile. So he's got to time the move right on uh, Simplification. John Velasquez takes over in the saddle. He's a guy who's won you know, uh, big races in the past. He hasn't ridden particularly well at Pimlico over the years. And Velasquez has been beaten on four different Kentucky Derby winners, which is an interesting stat in the Preakness. Four different times he rode the Kentucky Derby winner in the Preakness, and he's 0 for 4 with those. But he's a Hall of Fame jockey and a great rider. The fact that Ortiz jumped off simplification to ride early voting, I think that's two parts. It is an admission, I think, that early voting is the stronger of the two horses. Plus, Jose Ortiz in, in New York rides a lot for Chad Brown, who's one of the champion trainers in America over recent years. So it's a good business decision to stick with Chad Brown. Then Antonio Sano, who's based in South Florida and the horses that uh, Jose Ortiz is going to ride for Sano might be a couple a year, whereas with Chad Brown, he could ride dozens of superstars a year. So it's a good business move, but I think he's also getting on the better horse of those two. I think early voting may be the horse to beat on the lead in the Preakness, and I would expect uh, Jose Ortiz to put him right on the front. We'll get to early voting. Of course, lightly raced and epicenter should be and will be your favorite, but Let's go back to where I should have started with you, Jeremy, and that is Rich Strike. Do you think we see this horse in the Belmont? I'm dubious. 
you never know. You know, it's kind of a curious decision not to running back in the Preakness. And the fact that they pulled the plug on the Preakness bid last Thursday is a little worrisome to me because they didn't enter for the race until Monday. So if your thought was the horse didn't come out of the Kentucky Derby just exactly the way you wanted, why wouldn't you let him train a few more days till you make that kind of decision? It's one of two things. They either had a plan all along that they didn't want to run in all three races or there was something a little bit of a miss with the horse that they're going to need a little bit more time with. And so, you know, there are therapeutic legal drugs that the horses can get after racing in races that help their recovery, just like aspirin or icing down, uh, things like that, that would happen with any athlete. But those uh, same kind of therapeutics that are legal when you're not racing can't be in a horse's system on race day. So if they needed to give a legal and, and justified therapeutic to uh, Rich Strike, it may not have cleared his system in two weeks' time to run back in the Preakness, but it would. Most of these medications uh, clear the system in about 28 days. So you're looking at four weeks. And that's why a lot of trainers these days like to run their horses every five or six weeks. It allows them to take the legal therapeutics after a race, apply them, and the horse can recover a little bit better uh, to come back and run their best race next time. So it's one of two things probably with Rich Strike. But I don't think his lack of appearance here hurts the Preakness from a business standpoint. In 1999, we didn't have Maximum Security, who was disqualified from the Derby, nor Country House, who was promoted to the Derby win that year in that controversial uh, judge's decision. Neither one of those horses showed up at Pimlico. And I know everybody that I work with, we're all wringing our hands saying, boy, this Preakness is going to be in the tank in 2019. It had an all-time record handle, $99.6 million, and they bet more than $63 million on the Preakness stakes itself. So the best betting Preakness ever to that point in history was a race that did not have the Kentucky Derby winner. Business will be good tomorrow. Well, everybody wants to watch the Philly run, let's be honest. Let's yeah. talk about Epicenter. He had the huge, I mean, incredible first blazing fast pace in the Derby, and kind of we saw Rich Strike take him over down the stretch. What do you think his chances are in this race? Will he have enough gas? And how much did the Derby, as you just talked about, take out of him? Well, that's going to be the big question. He is a horse who did get a published workout in the two weeks since the Derby. A lot of times in Derby uh, Preakness turnovers, you'll see they don't get a serious workout in between races. They just kind of gallop between the races. Trainer Steve Asmussen, a Hall of Famer who's won more than 9,000 races, more than any trainer in North American history, he sent uh, Epicenter back for a time to workout uh, the week in between the Derby and the Preakness. So that's a good sign that he bounced out of the race uh, in good form. And I expect he will run his race it's one of those situations where he's run six consecutive races going back to like last december that have all been good in fact they've all been a little bit better than the prior race he ran better in the derby when he was second than he did in the louisiana derby when he won that race he just got caught by the you know the long shot up the rail who ran an unbelievably fast final quarter mile i don't know where that came from from rich strike but he came on the last <laughs> quarter mile in 23 seconds and changed i mean it, it was unbelievable it was. how fast he finished up. It, it, it was i got a minute here, Jeremy, I get a feeling you're leaning five worse early voting. This is the same playbook, and you're smiling, so I think it's true. This is the same. Remember cloud computing with Chad Brown back in 17. Same playbook where they kind of focused on the Preakness. Are you in on early voting up top? 
Yeah, his owner, Seth Clareman, grew up just outside of Pimlico, Johns Hopkins. I mean, he is a Baltimore guy. They did the same thing by skipping the Derby to run in the Preakness. Most owners in the country wouldn't take that move, but you have to take the hometown factor into it. So it wasn't a sense that they didn't run in the Derby because they didn't think they had the best horse. I think they were saving their best chance for the Preakness, and he's going to try to win at home just like he did five years ago. And you're going to be using them up top. Is that fair? Absolutely. Make it five, as they say. I'm going with early voting. A on perfect top. post position, seven to two right now on the board. Early voting, of course, Chad Brown, the trainer. Okay, Jeremy, editor in chief there over at Express Bet, horse player now. Thank you very much. You always do a great job with us. Thanks, Thank Jeremy. you. Appreciate it. All right, guys, take care. Enjoy the preakness, and we'll have more on that tomorrow here on the Lombardi line. I'm looking forward to it. I think, Michael, you put it well. They want to see the Philly run. They want to, it's Secret I mean, Oath is going to be the to story. The, uh, you know, everybody wants to see the girl run. Why not? You know, I mean, it, it, it's intriguing. And and look, the way the Derby, nobody thought there was going to be any any long shots win the Derby. And Rich Strike came right down there and looked like Secretariat. So I'm sure we'll have a good time watching it. We're coming back with Josh next. Listening to the Lombardi Line on VSIN, featuring former NFL executive Michael Lombardi. Now, once again, here's Patrick Maher. Okay, Lombardi Line, we got you back here on a Friday. I'm Patrick Maher, live from the VSIN studios here at the South Point. We got the Bowlers. You can see over my shoulder there. We got the bowlers lined up. I don't know why the bowlers always line up in their own line here, but that is uh, <laughs> that's what they do. Michael Lombardi there in Jersey, and we welcome in Josh Applebaum, Market Insights, of course, betting across America. He joins us, and we say hi. Hey, congratulations, Mr. Celtic. He got back on track. <laughs> that was uh, a big time performance, as Michael mentioned from Marcus Martin. Horford played great. You get two starters back. You should win that game. No. Oh, it was awesome, guys. As a Celtics fan, Patrick Michael, great to be with you. And I think, you know, uh, just from a couple things looking at the Celtics, the bounce back factor, they've been fantastic here, off a loss, now 4-0 again, uh, against the spread and straight up in the postseason. They haven't lost back-to-back -back games all the way since January when they flipped that switch went from a mediocre team to one of the best teams in the NBA. So, Looking at last night, guys, to me it was all about a line move. And, and Michael, you know, and Patrick Beer talked about this on the show yesterday, where you know it was four and a half down to four, then it was down to three and a half, and then we started to see that plus three and a half Celtics really get juiced up, like it's going down to three, and we're like, okay, is it just smart money or is something else going on here? It was that Horford news that he's going to play. Marcus Smart was good to go, and to me, guys, you know, it's always difficult because you want to get the best of the number. So if you miss the Celtics, like you know, plus four, plus three, you're like, man, it gets all the way down to one. What am I going to do here? It's always difficult not to get the best number, but if there's consistent, consistent movement with zero buyback, to me that tells you that even though you're not getting the best of it, you still want to be on the side of that move. And then, you know, same thing with that total. You saw it, you know, tick up at one point up to 207, ended up sailing over. But now, guys, if you had identified Boston going into yesterday's game, you know, they opened minus 200 to win the series. You lose game one, you were plus 125. You look at the odds today in the series price, minus 250. So now you're going back home. Celtics, by the way, plus 200 to win the NBA title now. It's feeling a lot like 2008, guys. You look toward uh, tomorrow's number, open around minus five and a half, minus six Celtics. You're starting to see some six and a halfs out there. Uh, even ticket count as of now, but tomorrow night the line is moving to Boston. You have a lot of system matches here on these home teams, home favorites, home favorites off a line move. That number seems really, really high, but I think it's get it's high for a reason. This is going to be kind of a maybe a fade the trendy dog opportunity tomorrow night. Yeah, my, I asked Michael earlier. He hadn't looked. He thought it would be three, three and a half. So I think we're all in unison there. It feels a little high. How about this evening? Does it feel high to you? This is crazy. Everybody's <laughs> betting Golden State, yet we've dropped from that six and a half down to six, Josh. 
Yeah, and this was play guys, you know, in game one that, you know, I took uh, the points there with, with the Mavs. It was a five and a half line freeze. Really didn't move at all despite almost 80, 90% of bets there on Golden State. So, you know, Golden State made the public a lot of money. It was not great for the odds makers, the sports books, or contrarian betters. But I think you're seeing tonight the same sort of thing. You know, as you mentioned, Patrick, at BetMGM, you have 60% of bets here on the Warriors. I'm seeing other shops that are much more lopsided in favor of Golden State. Hey, just lay with the Warriors. They rolled in game one. You know, Luka can't, you know, do it all. He's just a, you know, one-man wrecking crew but if he's not on you know the Warriors have a big advantage here but what is the line actually telling us it opened out a lot of shops Warriors minus six and a half now it's down to six despite a majority of bets here on Golden State so I'm looking toward the Mavericks guys uh, you see these teams with a line move in their favor obviously a big line move to Boston yesterday but any kind of line move in your direction those teams in the playoffs 35 and 26 against the spread 57 percent and the Mavericks in particular off a loss 26 and nine against the spread this year 74 percent four and one ATS in the postseason. I think if you want to bet uh, the Mavericks, though, I don't know if I'd play plus six right now. It's a nine o'clock game. It's going to be really heavily bet. There's some juice leaning maybe back to the Warriors. I'd hold out for maybe a hook to try to find a six and a half. And guys, I'll play this under again. It opened at around 214 and a half. You're now down to 213 and a half. The magic number in the NBA playoffs has been 210. When the total is 210 or more, the under is 45 and 20, 69%. And you do have unders in general, 64% this playoff. So I'm going to wait, try to get the hook on Dallas. If not, I'll, play, I'll take, the, uh, take the plus six. And I got to take this under, guys. I think if you want the Mavs to keep this thing close, they need it to be a lower scoring game. If you get in the you know 110s, 120s again, that's not good. Patrick, you know this, correlative betting, favorite high total, dog low total. There it is, Josh. Uh, the, yeah, and great job. I, your write-up today in the daily newsletter uh, was tremendous, and I saw that as well, where 210 is kind of that line of demarcation on the totals, and anything above 210, the under has been cashing close to 7 out of 10 times, so very important there. Okay, what's the, adju what's the adjusted series price with the Celtics? So Celtics right now, Patrick, uh, they are, I believe, minus 250. Let me dial it up for you here. And if you look at uh, Miami, I think they're getting, what are they right now, plus... 220. So that series price again going into it. Celtics like minus 180. And this is how, you know, it's really difficult. No one has a crystal ball. We don't have Biff Tannen's Almanac and Back to the Future. But if you like that move to Boston last night, the play was okay. Let me bet them tonight. But think a little bit deeper. If you think they were going to win tonight or yesterday with that line move and it got down to one, then look at that series price. You could have gotten a plus 125. Now you're minus 250. The updated uh, futures to win the title, guys Warriors plus 110, Celtics plus 200. Heat plus 450, and the Mavs, a long shot, plus 1,000. Michael, what do you think? You know, I, I mean, I, I think it's so hard to tell right now because, I mean, it's been a two, it's a three-point shooting contest. And so, you know, who can really judge this? I mean, you know, if you're – I like Dallas tonight like Josh. I like, I like Miami tomorrow night because I think they'll shoot better. I think it's going to – I'm going to go with old-fashioned watch the tape, see it. And Luca to me, can't play the way he played in the last game. So I, I like that. And if the, Golden State shoots really well, okay, great. Then we're gonna, then then you lose. But I think in this NBA, you got to count on a team's best player not turn it over seven times out of thirteen and shooting much better. And I think I'd go there. Yeah, I think Michael's right with the three pointers. I mean, yesterday your Celtics hit twenty and Miami hit ten, <laughs> and that really, you know, obviously the two starters returning as well. Before we say goodbye, Josh, what? 
what's happening as far as this, the trends and stats with the uh, Stanley Cup playoffs? I know you like an under and an over tonight. We've got two on the ice. The Rangers at Carolina. Carolina open about 165. Bet a little bit up to 170, 175 at a few shops. And Edmonton, Calgary. No surprise here. Calgary open 167. I got a bunch of 175s on the board. But start with the numbers here overall in the Stanley Cup playoffs. So overall, Patrick, this is what's difficult for me, you know, for a lot of these games tonight. We have a lot of really good conflicting systems. So on the one hand, just look at home favorites. It's very simple here, but home favorites in the NHL playoffs, they're 28 and 14, 67%. So you're winning two out of three home favorites. They've been very, very good. But then we also have a system here if you're desperate off a loss. So if you lose one game, you come back the next, you know, big one last night, Patrick, I'm kicking myself. I didn't play the St. Louis Blues, big 4-1 win against Colorado at a big plus money number. But that desperation off a loss, you can call it the zigzag, that bounce back factor uh that's 25 and 20 56 but with some dogs the roi is almost like 10 so you know you have the desperation awful loss matches with the rangers and edmonton tonight we also have calgary and, and carolina with that good home favorite advantage here system play so what i'm gonna do i'm gonna kind of avoid that look to some totals patrick i'm gonna take the under in the rangers game and open five and a half we've seen overs do very well this playoffs but i think we might get some regression here in the second round a total's five and a half. It's really juiced up minus 115, minus 120. We had a two to one game going to overtime then uh, game one. And you've seen the Rangers, a pretty good under team on the year, 47 and 39. So this screams to me kind of a lower scoring game, maybe a three to two type matchup. And then Edmonton, I know it feels kind of square. It seems too good to be true, which worries me. But I'll take the over. It was a nine to six game uh, in game one here. And if you look at, you know, that that it does, it's not just a one off like they've played four uh, five times this year. The over is four and one and they've scored seven or more goals in four of the, of the five games. So this the total is six and a half. It's really juiced up over minus one fifteen. I'll take the over six and a half with the Flames. I'll take the under five and a half with the Rangers, Patrick. Under five and a half. That's a sweat. I'm not willing to I'm not willing to get involved <laughs> with. My, <laughs> that is <laughs> I'm so looking forward to an empty net goal, Patrick, to kill me when it's it's three to two. I'm really looking forward to that. You, you may just get that. Uh, well, before we say goodbye, why don't you give us a baseball play? You're going, San, you're going to San Francisco for your play today, Josh? Yeah, going to San Fran here. What jumped out to me, guys, is a tough schedule spot for San Diego. So the Padres have been great this year. How do you not take them plus money with Sean Manai on the bump? He's been pretty good so far coming over from Oakland. But this game open like a pick em, minus 105 both sides. You're seeing the Giants get up to you know minus 110. I see some minus 120s. It's creeping up to San Francisco uh, as we speak. They would match a uh, favorite with a low total. You also look at much better bats here, 248 versus 227. But the matchup to me, guys, is the tough schedule spot for the Padres. They were at Philadelphia for the last three days, played yesterday, have to travel uh, cross-country to San Fran. Meanwhile, San Fran had a day off yesterday. So big advantage there, rest versus tired, tough schedule spot and travel for the Padres. I'll take San Fran at a kind of a low number at home, shop around around a minus 115. Well, if they were in Philadelphia, maybe the Padres players were able to see Joel Embiid pick up his MVP, most valuable Philadelphia. Most valuable Philadelphian. Nudge Ben Franklin in a wire win. It was wonderful. Yeah, had you, it all the way, did, did you hear by from anybody if that was legit? If that was legit, I didn't even read it. This there was no, I read the paper. I, I didn't even read it. So okay, so maybe she was trolling a little bit. Most valuable Philadelphian. Joel Embiid, not playing basketball, but picking up awards. <laughs> Josh, thank you, I, I buddy. I thought it was going to be, Patrick, I thought it was going to be Nick Foles breaking my heart in the Super Bowl a few years ago. Philly special. Bro, they built a statue for the guy. I mean, they literally yeah. have a statue of him and a visor over there. Josh, Market Insights, uh, betting across America. Thank you. Appreciate it. Appreciate Thanks, it, guys. Josh. Have a great weekend. Okay. I, uh, I heard a quote from D'Angelo Russell today, who, of course, mm. the former Washington, let me get this right, commander. 
Um, I think you may agree with what he has to say or had to say yesterday about Ron Rivera. I'll give you those quotes coming back here on the Lombardi line at VEASAN Live on Twitter. You can find us. You can find Michael M. Lombardi NFL. D'Angelo Russell, not necessarily bullish on the commanders. That's next. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Every Day Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. You can build internal resources. That's what the study of psychology is about, building internal resources. Turning towards is one of the most important elements of successful relationships, no matter what kind of relationship it is. The thing that underpins all of this productivity stuff is finding a way to make the journey itself enjoyable. The journey is the destination. The beauty of uncertainty is infinite possibility. When you don't know what's next, you don't know what's next. And thus, anything can be next. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Lombardi Line on VSIN, featuring former NFL executive Michael Lombardi. Now, once again, here's Patrick Maher. Hey, it's the loyalty program from Elliot, and this is BetMGM. Of course, every time you make a bet, BetMGM, or just go to the app, you get reward points. Then you can redeem them for online bonuses or at MGM Resorts Nationwide. It really is, I always joke about this, but like a credit card, it's the coolest program there is. It's a loyalty program, 21 years or older, 1-800-GAMBLER if you have an issue. So I said D'Angelo Russell. Okay, Michael, we're not great with names on the show. We've we've now <laughs> accomplished. I've, I call them D'Angelo Russell. But, of course, D'Angelo Hall, who is a tremendous cornerback. I knew who you meant. Yeah, I knew who you meant. <laughs> I knew you did. He so, was the guy the Raiders signed for half a year. So he was a part of the new radio broadcast for the Commanders last year, and he's been replaced by London Fletcher, who's a legend there. And I don't know if this is sour grapes because – Hall's the guy that's as you probably you probably uh, studied him and his personality was always bigger it, on the field off the field and he's very smart and basically he was talking about Ron Rivera and the offense and he said if you look through Ron Rivera he's an average coach you know he gets treated not such but he also believes that the whole coaching staff there with Washington has yet to evolve and. Uh, I'm trying to find exactly where he – I just feel like you watch this team, it never freaking evolves. It stays the same. If you were successful doing something, instead of trying to go back and figure out what we did that worked, what we didn't do that didn't work, we just stay status quo and think, all right, it's going to be as simple as it was. He then went on to talk about Turner not stretching the field enough, and then he talked about the defense underachieving last year and Rivera being very average. He said he loves Ron Rivera as a person, but if we're being honest, he's an average coach, and you have agreed with that in the past. You know, I, I think Ron gets a pass on a lot of things. I mean, you know, look, he's had, he's had so many up and down. I mean, you know, he 11 and 5, 5 and 11. I mean, never has been able to sustain uh, the ability to put – put wins together. And I think when you look at his career, you know, he's eight games over 500 in his 11 year career as an NFL head coach. And, you know, he's gone to the playoffs of those eight years. He's gone five times, you know, and, and one time he got, he became the NFC champion in 2015, which has propelled him there, you know, and then he went back one year and got beat then went back in Washington. I mean, that was, you call that a playoff team. I don't know how you do that, but for me, it, it, I just think to me they they're defensively they're based on their talent level. I don't know if they underachieve because maybe we've overevaluated their talent level. I mean, this is a bad defense. I mean, they're 32nd in touchdown passes allowed last year. They're 28th in yards allowed per play a, a pass against them. I mean, they never could get control. Granted, their quarterback got hurt in the first game. The guy they were counting on, Ryan Fitzpatrick, and then they kind of went through a bunch of different quarterbacks, but. I never get the sense there's a plan in Washington. I don't get the sense that they're 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 going to find the answers. It's always kind of what D'Angelo said. It's kind of simple, and they think their defense is going to win games, and their defense lost games for them last year. I mean, let's be candid. I mean, they couldn't stop anybody, and even when Chase – I don't want to hear that Chase Young missed games. Even when he was there, they weren't very good. So – I don't think the details get nailed down in Washington. I really don't. I agree with you. And then you. they trade for Carson Wentz. I mean, like, if you made one phone call to anybody in the National Football League about Wentz as a teammate, Wentz is somebody who's buying in. You, you watched 
Wentz give you call Doug Peterson, call somebody, you know, and say, okay, what are we getting with this guy? Can he lead us? And the answer is no. The answer is just a flat out no. And so you trade for a guy and you still need a quarterback. I mean, they're celebrating in, in, in I would much rather have Matt Ryan than Carson. They could have had Matt Ryan in Washington, you know? And so I, I just don't like their team. I, I think they have some talented players, but they don't play like a talented team. I mean, Allen's a good player inside, so is Payne, but Chase Young runs past the quarterback all the time, and they can't stop. I mean, for a team that has this dominant defensive line, they can't stop anybody. Look, they were bottom third. I think they scored about 19, 19 and a half a game. They were bottom third in offense. They were bottom third in defense. And I actually don't think the offense is the concern. Obviously, the quarterback you mentioned, but they have talent. Gibson is emerging. He's just learning how to be a running back. They got McKissick back. Remember, he had the head fake with going to Buffalo. McLaurin, Samuel, if he's healthy, Dotson, who they drafted, Logan Thomas, like they have talent. The offensive line always seems to overachieve there, although they did lose their best offensive lineman. But Right. It's, I mean, their offensive line's a shambles. But let, let's put things in perspective, right? What do you look for to see coaching, right? What do you see in terms of fundamentals and techniques? You know, offensively, they're the one of the worst teams in the red zone. That, that, that really comes down to the coach. Hmm. Worst team in the red zone. Where are they on third down defense? They're 31st team third down defense. They're supposed to have this great pass rush. This defensive line's supposed to dominate. They're 31st and getting off the field on third down. 48.5% they were staying on the field. 50, it was almost a 50-50 prop. Like, I, I, I just don't see it. And then here's the beautiful thing about it all. Ron watched all this for two years. He's made no changes to his staff. You know, he brought in a new special teams coach, but, you know, he's watched, he watched Del Rio for two years. He must think he's doing a good job. But they can't stop anybody. Well, you're exact. That's exactly what D'Angelo Hall said. Status quo, nothing's upgraded, nothing's changed. So, like, got- who's going to get better? Uh, we're, we're, and, and so, what new player did they add to the defense that's going to make them better this year? I'll wait for the answer. The answer is no one. The answer is no one. And they drafted Who, the linebacker know, last year. Line, yeah, I mean, the offensive line, they, they lose their best lineman. Now they've got Trey Turner, who's on his third team in three years, who was horrible last year in Pittsburgh, but he was with them in Carolina, so that gives them a free pass. Andrew Norvell was horrendous in Jacksonville, over 30. Charles Leno wasn't very good in Chicago. They're playing a bunch of has-beens in the offensive line behind a quarterback who's a piece of crystal. I mean, he gets hurt all the time. Okay. I don't want to do what I'm about to do, but I have to do it. I'm going to play counter with Carson Wentz, and I'll take it to the owner. So what I'm hearing, and you can clarify all this, what I'm hearing is Ursay couldn't stand Carson. There were personality differences, and he just didn't like the way he fell apart down the stretch. But here's my question about Ursay. Did you see the recent thing he posted on social where he essentially thinks he's Waylon Jennings on a plane? And he he posted a two-minute clip of him singing the weirdest country song by himself sitting on an airplane, like... I'm not going to get into the off-the-field off stuff that he's had issues with, but Ursay's kind of a loose cannon as well, no? So sometimes maybe no. grain of salt when he's evaluating people. You know, I would say, yeah, but I think he has good instincts. He's been around the game, and I think he does know the, the locker room. Okay. You know, he talks to enough players. And, yeah. I mean, look, the, the, we said it. We called him Ricky Fowler all year, by the way. What, was Ricky even par yesterday? He's going out there today. Yeah, We'll see over. how he does. Yeah. Is he one over? He he finished up seventy one one over last yesterday, so he's he's okay. He so make the cut here. Y- 
Yeah, I mean, we'll get right into it. But, I mean, like, look, we see this guy throw the ball left-handed. We, we see him not, you know, he's got a chance to win a game. I mean, they're sitting there. He's get, he gets COVID at the end of the year, and he's able to play against the Raiders, and he plays just absolutely disastrous. And then they go down to Jacksonville. I don't know if you could lay a bigger egg than they laid in Jacksonville, and it starts with no, it starts. And, and the two people that benefited from the most, Eberflus, his defense, and Carson Wentz gets another starting job. Yeah, that was uh, unspeakable. What happened out in Jacksonville? I mean, they had opportunities in that game as well. That was a lame duck team in Jacksonville. Couldn't wait for the season to end. They couldn't stop them, Patrick. They couldn't yeah, get off the field. But that's the misconception about Indianapolis. If they don't, if they didn't turn you over. If they didn't turn you over, they, they, you, they didn't stop. They're one of the worst teams in the red zone in football, too, last year. They couldn't stop you. Hey, I guess if you're a Bears fan, bright side, maybe Eberflus makes a better head coach than he does. Exactly, and I, and I reserve, the, I reserve that because, like Vrabel, who was not a very good defense coordinator with the Houston Fair. Texans, I mean, they were 29th in the league. And when he got that job, I'm saying, like, look, I get that he's got a presence to him, but – there was nothing on that tape that tells you he's going to be. And then when he took over the defense for Tennessee, it wasn't very good. And then when he goes back and he kind of steps out of the way, he's a better head coach than he is a defense coordinator. There's no doubt. Okay. This is uh, a critical game, too, for your Mavs. Yeah. Um, you got a lot of teams. The Heat, the Mavs, not the 76ers anymore. Let's just be fair. Uh, okay. Be you gotta, so six, again, the splits point to Golden State, yet we've seen that number drop a half. And you got a total of 214. Warriors laying six and a 214 number on the total, Michael. You, you know, I, I think Golden State was still a really good team. I think it's a tough arena. I'm going to take the Mavs and the points again, a double down on it. I think Luka's not going to be minus 31. Uh, and I don't think he's going to turn the ball over seven times. I think they'll shoot better. I think they'll play better. They'll solve the Wiggins. I like the under still at, at I agree. 214. I like the under, and I, li- and I like Dallas. Yeah, I love the under tonight in that game as well. Um, and, again, you know, the controversy about Luca's shoulder. My only question is, was he drinking an IPA? Is he a Pilsner yeah, guy? I mean, I, is he a I Bud Heavy guy? Like, what was he drink? What kind of beer does Luke like? I, I I think he's pretty fine. I think he's going to be fine. If I he had a busted doubt. shoulder, he's going to be fine. He looks yeah. like he could rip a couple of cigs and drink a beer and go in there and just drop a triple double. Well, on how you. many M and M's could he eat too and do it? I mean, think about JD's that John one over on the tournament. Yesterday. By the way, twenty-one cigs. JD's going to make the cut. He's one over on the tournament. I know. That'll be 42. That'll be 84 cigarettes in four days. Perfect. <laughs> See you tomorrow morning, Lombardi Line. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. 
And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.